Welcome to another exciting edition of the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Andy White, and with me today, as always, Martin Theobald. Hello! So, we have... Ocean colour scene, since you didn't ask. What? Well, I thought that's what listeners tune in for now, is find out what music I was listening to on the way over here today. Oh, well... I'm, Ocean colour scene. It's more, I imagine it's more of a subculture inside of the, inside of the it fan Needs base. its own podcast, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll look into that. But yeah, that's... Uh, have you got... I mean, whilst on that subject, have you got a rendition for us? The, no, the, no. Because <laughs> I'm going to have to explain this to the, to the fans. You realise that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, apologies, people. Uh, some, something you didn't ask for isn't being done. So Yeah, so apologies. No, it's another week. I wasn't, I've got a chest infection. I can't do it now. Well, you're just going to have to battle through because we've got lots to talk about, haven't we? We have. Busy week. Busy week. Um, Love it. So, we'll go... Straight in with something. What David Hay is coming back? Is he? Well, yeah. In theory, he hasn't actually said formally that he's coming back. He has um, indicated that he's going to come back. So he's released. Yeah, his toe hopefully plastered up and ready to go. I know, big injury that. That was horrific. (laughs) Goes down the hall of fame of injuries. (laughs) So yeah, he's released a video this week. He hasn't like made a big song and dance about it necessarily, but he's released a video of him. Uh, he talks through uh, what it is that made him want to be a boxer in the first place, and essentially he's saying that he's getting back in the ring. And at the end of it, it comes up with 2015, um, which would indicate he's going to be back this year. But given he's run out of time pretty swiftly, but he talks about what's quite interesting in there is that he um, he's going to be training with Shane McGuigan. And one of the references he makes within the video is about um, seeing Carl Frampton as a fighter and how Carl Frampton has a number of uh, or variations of shots and um, techniques and things that he never had when he was fighting at his peak. And Carl Frampton's trainer is Shane McGuigan. Um, so he's he's linked up with, uh, with McGuigan, which is interesting because Shane McGuigan's very busy at the moment training Carl Frampton for the Scott Quigg fight. So... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'd be surprised if he fights this year, given that there's only yeah. 40 days left or something. Um, but yeah, he. Shane McGuigan's busy as well. You'd, you'd yeah, even less likely. Yeah, I would have thought something after February of next year would be more likely, because uh, that's when Quig Frampton is. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, one thing that made me laugh about it is that the announcement was made via the Lad Bible that. <laughs> horrendous Facebook Twitter group thing which just summed it up for me really David Hay being mm. a publicity whore um, you know, he, he's never really in it for the boxing you suspect he's in it well he says he's in it for the money yeah, he'll just announce a comeback so he can get on to uh, some sort of game show or something yeah no absolutely this will lead him to you know, Celebrity Big Brother or another stint in the jungle or something so yeah that was uh, that was quite interesting news hopefully he'll shut up about it and get on with it now rather than talk about it Okay, so one question that rears its head, in my mind at least, 
is uh, what weight is he going to be looking to come back at? As we've spoken before, you said he was a decent cruiserweight and not the best heavyweight. He was a great cruiserweight, and as you say, not the he won a world title at heavyweight, but against Valuev, that was you know questionable as an opponent as a world champion. Interestingly, Tony Bellew has come out this well this week and said, "Look, if he's coming back, I'll fight him at cruiserweight, or we'll find a weight in the middle somewhere." You suspect he's not going to go back to cruiserweight as fighters age; they go up in weight, they don't come down in weight. He's been out of the ring since beating Derek Chisora. Uh, it's not likely he's going to come back at cruiserweight, but um, yeah, a fight with Tony Bellew. Who out there wouldn't want to see Tony Bellew get his face smashed in by David Hay? I, I'm not the biggest David Hay fan, but. Uh, out of the two. Out of the two, yeah. I mean, <laughs> arguably, the greatest result would be like a double knockout and they both retire. But Which seems to happen a lot more frequently in things like Street Fighter than it ever does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen often in the double ring. Double KO. Uh, yeah, so uh, heavyweight would more than likely be uh, the answer. Okay. Let's move on to uh, Frampton Quick. So, uh, judging by the notes here, there was a three-city press tour, was there? There was. They've um, they said that they were going to plan something similar, or they did try to plan something similar for Frotch Groves two, but uh, they never got round to it with the timescales they had. Now this fight has been announced well in advance, so there's still hundred and something days until the fight happens. So what they decided to do was take it to London, to Manchester, and to Belfast. So London being a neutral one, Manchester being kind of where. Scott Quigg's from, he's from Berry, so it's around the corner. Hmm. Uh, and Belfast being where Carl Frampton is from. So they've done it over three days. Um, and the Belfast one was massive, like a huge oh, really? turn, like more than they get for some fights over there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they've done three days of being in each other's company. It's been pantomime at times. You've had uh, Barry McGuigan, what do you call Eddie Hearn, an arsehole during it. Um, <laughs> well, you know, up to him. Um <laughs> Carl Frampton seemed quite rattled by it. Like they did their final head to head in Belfast what, yesterday. By him no, no, by like the whole thing. Um, he's kind of Don't lost say that his. About Eddie. <laughs> uh, you know, his allegiance is to Barry McGuigan, so uh, right. he, he can't have been too offended. So, out of the two of them, Frampton seems to have got. Uh, you know, Quigger's got under his skin slightly more. So at the head to head, like Frampton looked ready to fight him there and then, and like was kind of going for him a bit, and they had to be separated. Quig, um, he's not the greatest talker in the world. He's, uh, he, you know, he by his own admission, he's not that well educated. He kind of skips school and what have you. So he's not the most. Um, he doesn't come over the greatest in press conferences. So Eddie Hearn tends to do a lot of talking for him, um, as does Joe Gallagher, his trainer. But yeah, he's actually he's come across with a little bit more personality over the last three days. So you know, there's over a hundred days until this fight happens. But they wanted to get it out of the way now, build up the hype for it. The tickets go on sale Friday morning, um, which will sell out. You know, in double yeah, quick time. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking when you said they've done a three city press tour, and I suppose to some extent that's like servicing the fans anyway. Yeah. But it just seems to me like oh, it's been this is this has been like wanted for ages. This fight. And so then they finally get it arranged, and it's almost like then they turn around and say, uh, "Hey everyone, we've got this fight arranged, this amazing fight." Yeah, we know we wanted it for ages. Yeah, you don't have to promote it anymore. Yeah, it still feels like they, so they have to tell us about it, even though that's what everybody wanted anyway. Yeah, it's probably a difficult one, really. Like you have to promote it, and I'm sure that they probably will drop the promotion now until a few weeks before the fight, because there's plenty on. Um, so yeah, they they wanted to get it out of the way. I think build up the hype now. 
and it was interesting I mean um, Joe Gallagher's as I said earlier he's um, Scott Quigg's trainer he's been a busy man of late so he had the Callum Smith Rocky Fielding fight because he's Callum Smith's trainer uh, not the weekend just gone but the weekend before that he attended all three days of this press tour at the weekend he's um, going to be in the corner of Anthony Crawler, who he's the trainer of um, and he was today at the press conference for Anthony Crawler against Dalis Perez so he's had a busy few you know weeks days um, and it's a bit of a, an odd one really I'd have thought if I was Anthony Crawler and I'm in the last week before my world title fight I would want my trainer back in the gym with me not that they're mm. going to be doing heavy sparring or anything yeah. at this point but just to fine tune yeah whereas his trainer's actually been on a three day jolly around the country um, preparing for another fight so <laughs> how that affects Crawler we'll find out at the weekend I suppose but we'll, we'll come on to that later okay um, Joshua versus White was confirmed as pay-per-view it was yeah no great shock to anyone um, I mean not that we're going to preview it now but just as a quick comparison on the card so far confirmed right you've got Joshua versus White which is a British title fight you've got Spike O'Sullivan versus Chris Eubank Jr as an eliminator for the WBA um, title in middleweight you've got Tony Bellew versus uh, Masternak for the European cruiserweight title They've added this week Josh Warrington um, onto the card, who is very popular up north in the northeast. <laughs> There's Josh Warrington versus to be announced. There's Kevin Mitchell versus to be announced, and there's Luke Campbell versus to be announced. So you've actually got three fights. This happens so frequently. I can't even make an original joke about it. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so frustrating. So you've got three fights that are actually announced, and then you've got three to be announced opponents. Which, when you're looking at it, and it's December the twelfth, was so that three weeks away? They're not going to be bringing in world class mm. opponents for these people three weeks out. So. I mean, just as a very, very quick comparison, this weekend on Sky, you have one British title fight and two world title fights. World title fights on free-to-air, I say free-to-air, but subscription Sky TV. It's not on pay-per-view. You've got two world title fights and a British title fight. December 12th, you've got a British title fight, a European title fight, and an eliminator. And that's going to get extra. Even the European title fight is Tony Bellier. Yeah, yeah, it's dog shit. (laughs) So... uh, and it's not a bad fight Masternak's not a bad fighter but it is Tony Bellew so there you go um, so yeah it's just to draw a comparison really quite how the justification is there that that card is a pay-per-view as opposed to any other it's Anthony Joshua that does it he's the attraction right so you were speaking about uh, Crawler Perez right before uh, we go on right I've got a, a, a quiz surprise quiz for you <laughs> oh. it's linked to the news of the week right <laughs> <laughs> So I know you like to do the quizzes for me, so I thought I'd throw one out there. Don't worry, it's not particularly taxing. <laughs> Good. I mean, whatever. <laughs> there was uh, the announcement recently about Frank Warren. Um, he was given the accolade of being European Promoter of the Year by the WBO. Now, I wrote something recently on the website about which promoters work most consistently with which organisations. So uh, I've got a little run-through of the... December 19th card at um, uh, up in Manchester I think it is for Frank Warren's show um, where they've got a number of trinkets on the line little belts there's a, a couple of decent fights on there don't get me wrong but I just wanted to run through some of it and see if you can guess which organisation these might be for okay <laughs> right so Andy Lee versus Billy Joe Saunders world middleweight title <laughs> 
So you've got the IBF, the WBC, yeah, the WBA, so WBO, right? Stab in the dark kind of thing. Stab um, in the dark. WBO? WBO. Oh, That's right. Oh, Liam Smith versus uh, Jimmy Kelly for the world super welterweight or uh, like middleweight, in other words, title. Does that does that does sound like a WBO? It's a WBO yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah. You got Liam Williams versus Chris Carslaw. Oh no, sorry, that's uh, that's a different one entirely. Uh, Tom Stalker versus Craig Evans, European lightweight title. Which organization? <sighs> Which organization? Go on. Carry the one. WBO. Bit WBO. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mitchell Smith versus George Jupp is the Intercontinental Super Featherweight <laughs> title. Which organization is it with? Oh, a WBO. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> there's a pattern coming. Jack Cantrell versus TBA oh right. is the Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. Who's it going to be with? Come on. WBA. WBO, well done. <laughs> Adrian Gonzalez versus TBA. Oh Intercontinental God. Lightweight title. Is there anything that's Who? not corrupt about boxing? Nah, don't worry about it. Like, you haven't got this one right yet. Come on. You, you're assuming. Oh, okay. You're right. jumping yeah. the gun. I mean, Adrian Gonzalez I mean... versus TBA. Intercontinental Lightweight versus title. TBA. TBA. He's in here a lot. WBO. WBO. <laughs> w, you got that one wrong, I'm afraid. Yeah. Oh, Final so, one. So it's not WBO. That is a WBO. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Final one, uh, Tommy Langford versus TBA, Intercontinental Middleweight title, which governing body? WBO? WBO, well oh. done. So, well done to Frank Warren for winning the uh, WBO European Promoter of the Year. He certainly earned it. He has earned, I mean, they've probably earned a few pounds out of him uh, on December the 19th, so he has earned it, he's, he's paying it back in financial rewards yeah. so yeah not that there's anything corrupt about that so I'm not <laughs> suggesting in any way that there's any link between him winning the European Promoter of the Year with the WBO and having all those fights on that card God, so. it's painful it's, it's, I mean I'm, what I should be thinking is wow I'm amazed that I got all those right but... yeah you did get them right well done <laughs> well done so anyway I interrupted you Manchester this weekend sorry that's alright uh, million dollar crawler as we've previously spoken about versus Darlies Perez um, this is for the WBA lightweight title. It is. Uh, it's coming up. It's going to be uh, yeah, fought in Manchester. How do you see it going? Well, it's the rematch uh, they fought in July, the one where um, Perez had two points deducted. Um, many people class it as a robbery um, that Crawley should have got the, the win and the title. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember this, yeah. So, Darlis Perez... He can't be much worse than he was back in July. Not that he was dreadful, but as a you know as a world title holder. Not that I knew an awful lot about him, but you think he must have something about him to hold that world title. He he must have improved. Now it's how much Crawler has improved. I think is probably the most relevant thing in this. Now that was Crawler's first fight back after the well storied, well documented, you know, attack and injuries that went with it. So. There was probably a fair bit of ring rust um, for Crawler. He'd been out of the ring, um, had the injuries in January. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think for Perez to win it, I think given there was so much uproar last time about the um, the judging situation and Crawler not getting it on the cards, I think for Perez to win it, he's going to need to knock Crawler out this time. And judging by the last fight, he didn't get to Crawler at all. He didn't hurt him didn't you know particularly wobble him or anything so as long as crawler can do the 
same kind of game plan and uh, stick to his his fight strategy um, that'll be laid out by Joe Gallagher. Then I can see Crawler doesn't carry massive power, so I see Crawler getting a points victory. This was the fight, uh, was it not? That at the end, the crowd just were booing and throwing stuff on the into the ring, like just like, this is what a crap decision. Uh, I, I don't remember the detail, right. but uh, I just yeah, I just sorry, I just remember it being something akin. to I'm sure the crowd weren't happy about <laughs> it, but uh, yeah. Okay, um, well, you've you've even taken away my ability to ask you for results as you've so eloquently yeah uh, yeah, and I'm going crawler points. Okay, so uh, how do you see the Jenkins Tyrone Nurse? Yeah, Chris Jenkins. Um, again, this is a rematch again from July, so it's for the British light welterweight title. Um, again, they fought in July. Jenkins suffered a, a pretty bad cut over the eye um, that needed massive stitching on it. Many people thought Nurse had won that fight and were slightly surprised by the draw. I tweeted, I was having a few exchanges with um, with Jenkins over the last couple of days, actually, um, just kind of seeing how his eye is and things, and he said he's all prepared, he's all fixed, he's ready to go, and he joked about... Uh, hoping that this time Tyrone Nurse doesn't use his head quite as much as uh, as last time round. So it's a bit of a... Um, yeah, Nurse is significantly taller than Jenkins. Jenkins will try and get inside of the reach. Um, Nurse is probably the slicker boxer. Jenkins more the, the brawler. Um, I think Jenkins, you know, providing he doesn't go and get a cut above his eye again or anything like that, because that was such a horrendous cut. That must have put him off his game plan no end I think I can see Jenkins winning this one by stoppage I think he he could do it I, I think I, I seem to remember with this uh, when it it looked like it looked like a deep gouge like someone had ran a quarter of a razor yeah blade. that's right yeah. and he did it like middle of the fight as well so to carry on through really to the horrible. end of the fight A shows an awful lot of balls but B is going to ruin any you know your game plan your yeah, strategy yeah. your just your ability it's almost damage else. limitation to some extent yeah so I think if he can avoid that kind of injury which you know is a bit of a freak accident to be fair um, certainly wasn't intended I don't think by Nurse I think Jenkins would have enough about him to do him this time okay so we've also got um, an event uh, Goodwin Promotions are running at York Horn Saturday yep um the very much underrated Goodwin promotions, not by yourself, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Tim, what's going on there? All right, so you've got, uh, it's called The Cartel. The show is a, a fairly big show. They put on fairly, you know, stacked cards. Um, so, there's a few interesting fights. There's uh, Michael Devine, guy from Luton, who he's fighting early next year against uh, Floyd Moore for a Southern Area title. Um, then as the kind of chief support on the night you've got John O'Donnell who John O'Donnell is a guy who um, at welterweight he's been chasing a fight with Frankie Gavin he's been chasing a fight and trying to get himself in a position to get a fight with Sam Eggington the uh, the British and Commonwealth champion He John O'Donnell has got like a great great background he was on the undercard of the Oscar De La Hoya Floyd Mayweather fight out in Vegas like years back um, so he's very well thought of back in the in the day. He's taken a bit of time out of the ring and he's back now. Um, so yeah, he's got a bit of a tune-up fight. He's got two fights coming up over the next few months um, in the hope that he can get himself in the position uh, whereby he'll be able to challenge Eggington. Um, I know he, he has offered the fight to Frankie Gavin and terms couldn't be agreed, I don't think. Um, Gavin didn't seem to overly fancy it, but... Uh, yeah, he's fighting Saturday night as the chief support. And then the main fight 
is Sonny Upton versus uh, Ryan Toms, who he beat a guy called Lloyd Ellett recently. It's the English light middleweight title. It was a bit of an upset when Toms beat Lloyd Ellett. Um, Lloyd Ellett, who I'm speaking to tomorrow, actually, for an interview. Um, so Sonny Upton undefeated. It's it's a good fight. It'll be uh, I say it's a final eliminator for the English title. I fancy Sonny Upton will be able to do him. He carries a massive, massive following down to York Hall with him. Uh, they call themselves the Upton Clan. He's got one of his brothers fighting on the same card. It'll be lively. It'll be an exciting, uh, exciting night for uh, for boxing. So yeah, I think you'll probably see Sonny Upton come through that one. Okay, cool. Um, just a quick uh, side note: Who would you say was the uh, which boxer had the highest profile that fights under Goodwin Promotions? Um, that's a good question, really. So there's a few. There's Wadi Camacho, who was a prize fighter winner on Sky uh, a few years back. Kind of lost his way a little bit. Um, had a couple of controversial things go on with fights, and he signed up recently. Um, there's Tyler Goodjohn who's just signed a, a new deal, a multiple-year deal with them, who he's a former British title holder. Um, he's a really good fighter, the Tornado. Probably, if you're talking profile-wise, you're probably talking Leon McKenzie, um, okay. because he carries the um, the background of being a Premier League footballer for many years, um, and actually he's a, he's a very, very good super middleweight. So in theory, he's next in line to fight uh, Callum Smith, for the mm-hmm. British Super Middleweight title, I mean, from speaking uh, with Leon and seeing things that he's uh, he's put on Facebook and Twitter and things, it's he doesn't think Callum Smith will want to come down to British level. Essentially, having won that title, Callum Smith's looking forwards; he's not necessarily looking backwards. So, I don't think he would take the McKenzie fight, not because of you know fear or anything, but because he's progressing his route towards world titles. So I think McKenzie suspects that uh, Smith will drop that title. So I think they're lining up possibly uh, McKenzie will... I don't know who he'd fight for for the British title uh, if it's not Callum Smith. I mean, there's loads of options. Rocky Fielding's around there. Paul Smith may fancy it again. Um, there's a fair few options. There's um, Luke Blackledge, but he fights for Frank Warren. Um, so... There's a fair few options that McKenzie could end up in the ring with fighting for that title. So he's probably going to end up on a televised show somewhere, albeit on Box Nation or on Sky. So that'll boost his profile again. So I'd probably go, I guess, with Leon um, out of all of them. Okay. Yes. Um. It's interesting. Um. I have a. I have another question as well. Um. Am I right in thinking that uh, you mentioned briefly the um, Oscar De La Hoya Mayweather fight? Was that sort of like the explosion of Mayweather was that his sort of like come of, coming of age yeah. fight yeah so I have sort of like a question and whether you'll have an answer to it I don't know but nah, like, probably not <laughs> Oscar De La Hoya then so he takes on Mayweather and Mayweather then becomes the big man sort yeah of it, was, it was a bit of a passing of the gauntlet kind of fight that De La Hoya was the man at that point and then gets beaten by Mayweather who kind of became the man has it ever happened the way that so that happens and then later on in the career of um, I realise that normally if something like that happens there's quite a large difference difference in age kind of thing but like for example let's just say uh, Oscar De La Hoya then hits the road hits the sort of buffers later down the line 
And then maybe which he the, did when he got his cocaine addiction and right, and then so <laughs> started m- cross-dressing for photos. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he fucking hit the lineup. <laughs> so let's just say, for example, yeah, slash what actually happened. Is there ever been a situation where that then the boxer who has had the mantle passed them in this sense Mayweather then gives that old boxer another shot, not necessarily for an actual uh, I might as a risk, but more so of like oh you did me a favor, do you? I realise that it's not always as a favor, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can't think of one outside of probably a Rocky film, to be honest. <laughs> right? Okay. Because <laughs> um, you see, the, the reason I'd I have to research there it. are there are some like footballers that you know they get a contract into their career as like a favor to somebody else. Yeah, and yeah. Given how sort of like nepotistic the boxing is and stuff like that, and you know all boys club. I just could see it happening, but yeah, no, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I'm sure there, there probably <laughs> it's is. It's quite one. understandable that you don't know. Um, off the top of your head but no, it is a good question. I don't know, but uh, more than likely, but not one that I can think of. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to what's happening in Germany this weekend. Martin Murray has travelled over um, for our, to fight for our friends at the WBO. Uh, is this anything to do with Frank Warren? It's not. No, this oh. is uh, this oh. is Eddie Hearn. Okay. So. Um, he, gets a pass. Arthur, he takes he takes on Arthur Abraham. So, uh, why is this happening in Germany? Arthur Abraham is a German. Oh, right, um, okay. So yeah, as a title holder, he's promoted by Sauerland and Brothers. Um, yeah, he's he's a big ticket seller over in Germany. He's a big attraction. So Arthur Abraham has has fought various British people in the past. He got schooled by Carl Froch, like absolutely schooled. <laughs> um, recently, we've seen him twice fight Paul Smith. Um, once kind of battling to a win and then the second time smashing Paul Smith apart um, so yeah this is Martin Murray's fourth world title shot now um, he's taken on Sergio Martinez in the past he's taken on Felix Sturm over in Germany uh, in the past both of those two he was possibly unlucky um, to lose on points very unlucky in fact to lose on points uh, his third one was against uh, Golovkin earlier this year at middleweight. So those fights were all at middleweight, and then Martin Murray, after the Golovkin fight, steps up to super middleweight. Um, this is his fourth fight at super middleweight, of which all the three opponents he's fought have been shite. <laughs> like the last one being the guy that you really like, who kept falling to his knees every uh, five I seconds. Can't his name. Torres. Yeah, that, was, that was painful. Uh, Miguel Torres, yeah, I think it was. Take a knee, son. Yeah, so it's it's boxing politics at its finest, really. It's how does somebody step up a weight division, having lost a title fight at the weight division below, <laughs> fight three no-hopers, and then end up with a world title fight? I, I don't know. So there's clearly like a few strings being uh, pulled by Eddie Hearn to get it. Yeah. Now, I was chatting a couple of days back with uh, Paddy Fitzpatrick, who most people would know as George Groves' trainer, um when he fought Carl Froch twice so right. he's the Irish fella had the hat on um, yeah, yeah. yeah so very high profile around the time he's still training a lot of fighters now he's doing a fantastic job down in Swindon and a really nice bloke we were talking through the Murray Abraham fight and I asked him about if he's got any connections to George Groves these days and he sees it as likely that Eddie Hearn has taken this fight um, on the basis that well he's managed to get his way into this fight on the basis that if Martin Murray beats Arthur Abraham which is quite likely then he would fight George Groves down the line for the same title now George Groves is promoted by the Sauerland brothers who also promote Arthur Abraham as I just said 
Um, so it'd be a good route back for George Groves to no, world title yeah. level. Yeah. Would be look if you beat Arthur Abraham, then at some point in the future you would be tied into fighting uh, George Groves, which is a very, very plausible um, possibility. Not that Paddy Fitzpatrick knows that for a fact, because I think he's, his ties are cut with George Groves somewhat. Not in a bad way, not in a malicious way, just that they, you know, they've parted he ways. That's life, brother, is how he put it to me. <laughs> life is temporary. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's uh, that's one possibility for the future. So that may be one way that Martin Murray's got this title shot. If he wins it, there's loads of fights out there for him. There's um, you know, James DeGale is one possibility as a world title holder. Uh, there's Badu Jack who beat George Groves. There's Callum Smith coming through. Uh, Andre Ward has recently given up, I think, the WBA title. Um, so there's loads of potential fights out there for him that he could take if he comes through this. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I personally... It's a really hard one. Like Abraham, for years, people have been saying that he's on the verge, he's on the precipice of losing the title, and then he keeps like retaining it. So uh, he kind of he deteriorates. He's he fights for the last thirty seconds of every round. Like he doesn't bother fighting for the first two minutes thirty. He just covers up a high guard, hands in front of his face, walks through punches. He's tough as anything. Um, and then just fires back for the last 30 seconds of every <laughs> round and like that sticks with the judge's mind that you know somebody was on top as they closed the round out so that's kind of his style that's kind of how he's yeah. fought for a few years now you, kind of, you just kind of hope the judges would be able to know that that's the style but the it? thing is like the way that he defends with his hands so tight over his face nothing really lands on him like he doesn't get hurt particularly because everything's coming off the arms and the gloves and then he'll just open up like for the last, let's say, 30 seconds, minute of the round and fire his own stuff back. And that's kind of what he's done for years now. And it's been very successful. So whether Murray has the power at super middleweight to get through and hurt Arthur Abraham, I don't know because he's only fought absolute nothing at super middleweight mm-hmm. in his three fights. So you kind of feel a little bit like maybe he should have been tested before going in for a world title fight at that weight to find out if he carried the power that he had at, at middleweight but they haven't bothered doing that so <laughs> find out on the night be alright yeah it sounds like it could be an interesting one um, I mean uh, am I right in thinking that this could be a mismatch no no it won't be a mismatch at all it no it'll be uh, it'll be a very even fight it'll be uh, it'll be a good fight I think like Murray needs to up his work rate to really outwork that's no. what Carl Froch did was just outworked Abraham from like the first bell to the last and, and got through on him um, that's what Andre Ward did when he beat him so that's the key to beating Arthur Abraham is outworking him so it's whether or not Martin Murray can do that that will be the key to it I don't There's think he'll st- hurt I've never heard anyone have a style like you've just suggested that Arthur Abraham has um, you've, I've, I've always sort of I've heard of styles in in the sort of like the Mayweather mould um the frotch like brawler mold but it seems like almost like um you know you see the old uh, videos of Muhammad Ali up against the ropes like yeah rope a dope yeah, right just getting pummeled and then he then like, just hold just taking everything yeah I mean it's not as stylish as that it doesn't look as good you know like it's very square on very static the upper half of the body doesn't really move it's just accepting that you're going to take these punches around the the body and the arms and then get your own damage in later on mm. um but I say it's worked for him, and he's he's been successful in doing so. And it's whether Martin Murray can find a route around that that others haven't been able to. Um, I personally, I think Murray will win it. I think he'll find a way. Okay, right. Well, there you go. Uh, by by which method? 
um, points. Although getting a point to win in Germany is pretty difficult. I'm, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah. Even though you said before, you need to knock him out to get a draw. Yeah. <laughs> okay, brave. And at the very least, it's brave because you've already contradicted yourself in the past. But Yeah, know, no, I'm going with that. I'm going with that. Um, right, let's, let's jump on a plane and head to America. Uh, we have... All right, but I mean, I thought we were doing this, but... All right, we'll continue with this then. Well, in America, yeah, we'll okay. just talk about it. Um, we've got uh, Cotto Canelo in Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas. It's a it's a casino fight. It is. It's a huge fight. It's a you know the second biggest fight this year after Mayweather Pacquiao. Clearly, um, it'll be more exciting than that. I'm sure it's two people that can bang two people. Um, you know, Cotto has come up through the weights to supposing middleweight. It's not at middleweight. It's one of these bollocks catchweight fights. Um. That you have incredible respect for. Yeah, yeah, as demonstrated just now. <laughs> um, I think it's £156 or something, £155 that they're fighting. So it's like £1 above light middleweight. So oh, it's... No. Yeah, it's a joke, but <sighs> there you go. Um, right, yeah. there's been a bit of controversy going into it this week. So the title, in theory, is for the WBC middleweight title. Right, so bear with me on this. So... Cotto is a WBC middleweight title holder and this week like in the the preceding days to the fight he's been stripped of that title so his reasoning is that he doesn't want to pay and I think it's something like and you can kind of understand when you hear the figure I'm sure it's somewhere around $500,000 as a sanctioning fee to the WBC and he's saying, look, this fight sells itself. I don't need that fee. It's mm. quite amusing that he's like carried the belt through every press conference and every step of the way to the build-up of the fight. And then like a few days before, it says, no, actually, you can keep it. Like, I'm not <laughs> that bothered. And Cotto sells himself. He doesn't need a belt, um, similar to a Mayweather style. So he's relinquished the belt. Now, if Canelo wins on Saturday night, he wins that vacant belt if Cotto wins he doesn't win the belt right, so sense. it stays vacant um, so it's similar in a way to if a fighter misses the weight going into the fight then they get stripped of their title it's kind of the equivalent of that right the that's oh, well, could you explain what missing their weight means okay so say the the catch weight for this I think is 155 pounds so mm-hmm. say if they weigh in and they can't hit 155 they're the title holder going in and they weigh in at 158 right right They'll be given a couple of hours to go and shed that weight and come back for a second try. If they can't hold that weight, if they can't get down to, say, 155 in this scenario, then they'll get stripped of their title going into the fight. So the fight will probably still go ahead. They'll have to sacrifice some of their money and give it to their opponent. Like There's normally a clause around X number of dollars per pound over that you are. Like If you get stripped of that title, you then have to hand over some of the money. So... um, yeah, Paul Smith, for instance, when he fought Andre Ward, like he handed over his shed loads of money for missing weight. Um, so yeah, that's that's essentially what happened if they miss weight. So there's no risk of Cotto missing the weight in this because he's already under it, I think, from what I understand, because he's a natural kind of welterweight. So the fact that this is happening at light middleweight gives him that advantage anyway. So mm. Canelo strips down. He's a, he's a big light middleweight. Um so he typically fights at light middleweight this is a middleweight championship fight but a far lower weight so it's all very confusing mm, so <clears throat> the outcome is Cotto can't win his own belt back because he's not going to pay the sanctioning fee whereas Canelo can win the belt 
The other side to the story is that the mandatory challenger, whoever wins this fight, they have a mandatory challenger, right, to mm. face off against. Face off against. Right. That mandatory challenger is Gennady Golovkin. Now, so uh, the, the, uh, the, so if if Cotto wins, yeah, he doesn't win the belt. No, but the belt just sits in a cupboard, effectively belonging to him because he's gonna have to fight and defend it again anyway. Uh, well, the match challenger who would be Golovkin would then fight Cotto, and presumably no, no, Golovkin he wouldn't fight Cotto. No, right, okay. Here's the thing: he's vacated that belt. That belt has nothing to do with him. Win, lose, or draw, come Saturday night, that belt has nothing to do with him. So who who would then fight the mandatory challenger if Cotto did win? What they will do is they will either give that belt to Golovkin <laughs> or make Golovkin fight somebody else. So, for instance, might fight Canelo for it. Even if he lost? Even if he lost. Uh, okay. Which kind of makes sense. I haven't got a problem with that. Like, Canelo's a fantastic fighter and has the right to fight for it again if he loses. Or whoever's next in line through the WBC. The WBC rankings and middleweight. Um, I couldn't tell you who's kind of in the top five or whatever right now, but... Um, yeah, I mean, Golovkin's torn through most of the top five, top ten within most governing organisations. So the fight everybody wants is the winner of Saturday night versus Golovkin. If that winner is Cotto, there's no hope in hell he's going near Golovkin. Cotto's going near the end of his career. He's 35 years old. He doesn't need that fight. You know, he doesn't need it for a legacy. He doesn't need it for the money. There is no hope in hell he goes near Golovkin, mm. which could be one of the very convenient reasons, aside from saving himself $500,000, is one of the reasons why he's dropped that belt. Is because if he wins Saturday night, he don't want to bin it straight after that and then be seen to be ducking Golovkin. You can duck it in advance by saving yourself five hundred grand. Yeah, yeah. I would do that if yeah, I was him. Yeah, yeah. So... If you're not desperate to fight who you can see on the horizon anyway. No, I don't think anyone's desperate to go and fight Golovkin. Yeah. It's, uh, there's nobody lining up for Can't that touched one. touched that before, haven't we? Yeah, so uh, you know, fingers crossed Canelo wins it because I think he probably has got the balls to go and face Golovkin. Um, so, what, what are their styles like? Okay, so Cotto is um, very much a kind of squat man. Um, he's more of a come-forward fighter. Canelo... He's a, he's a mixture. I mean, it depends. Canelo's more adaptable, is what I would say. So, you've got Cotto from Puerto Rico, and Canelo from Mexico. So it's a good mixture of uh, cultures, if nothing else. You know, they all love their fights down there. So Canelo's a very stylish fighter. Actually, he's um, he's still very young. He's twenty five years old, despite the fact he's ten years younger than Cotto. He's actually had more fights than Cotto um, because he turned professional at fifteen years old. <laughs> which isn't uncommon down in Mexico they, they breed him young for it so he's a very stylish fighter well, it's either that or dry, join a drug cartel or something yeah one or the other mate <laughs> one or the other it's uh, <laughs> probably terrible. that's a terrible thing yeah that's another nationally offended <laughs> yeah ticked off um, sorry Mexico so uh, he's a fighter who's able to vary his styles so you're probably going to see he's a bigger fighter than Cotto so you're probably going to see Cotto like charging him down closing the space off but he can bang Canelo like he can really really hit so he could so, end up sort of counter punching that- yeah he could counter punch him quite a lot but he could also choose to walk through Cotto because I, I don't <laughs> think Cotto could hurt him personally like, really. Cotto uh, he hasn't really fought somebody as big as Canelo ever um, Canelo's only loss is to Floyd Mayweather where he just couldn't lay a glove on him for 12 rounds and Mayweather kind of made him look a little bit silly at times but Mayweather is a very different fighter to Cotto so he's not going to have those same struggles trying to find him Cotto will be there 
Um, Cotto's best hope. I mean, Cotto's being trained by Freddie Roach now. His best hope on Saturday night is the body shots. He's very good at the left hook. Um, but I think Canelo's just going to be too big for him. I think he can he can fight in different styles, and I think that's what's going to be the outcome is that he can go off the back foot. He can use his size and reach advantage, but he's also like he's not afraid to be hit, and he can walk into. Cotto and and damage him. I think uh, if I had to take a guess, I think either a l- kind of late uh, proper knockout, you know, like a ten count, or I could see Cotto maybe even like quitting on his stool late on. I, I mm-hmm. think Canelo will get to him. Canelo will hurt him. So is that what you're going to go with? You're going to go with uh, Canelo victory? Yeah, later rounds. Okay, well, it's as good as anything. Um... Okay, uh, Rigondeaux is on the undercard of this fight. Yeah, this is a, a late addition to the uh, the undercard. So he signed with uh, Rock Nation last week. So Rigondeaux is a super bantamweight that nobody wants to fight. So you've got Quick Frampton, big build up. Who's going to be the best? It doesn't matter because Rigondeaux is better than both of them. Um, but nobody wants to fight him because he doesn't bring any money to the table, etc., etc. Fight him together. Yeah, maybe tag team in. Or three-way, uh, something like that. <clears throat> three-way, yeah, that's uh, down the dog pound. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like nobody wants to fight Rigondeaux. He doesn't bring much money to the table. That's always been Eddie Hearn's excuse for why he doesn't want to put Scott Quigg in with him, is that there's no money for it, and the risk-reward balance just isn't isn't what, worthwhile. What nationality is he again, remind me? Uh, he's Cuban, Rigondeaux. Right, yeah, we just got this before, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. So, right, you've got uh, Rigondeaux... <laughs> kind of had these managerial issues and he's now signed a <clears throat> a promotional contract with Rock Nation. It came out a, a week or so back that he signed with Rock Nation, which is Jay-Z and his kind of entourage that started up a sports promotion company. So he signed with them, same people that Andre Ward has signed with. Um, so yeah, he's been added a bit of a last minute one um, onto this card. So He's fighting a guy called Drian Francisco, who I have to be honest, I'm not very familiar with. He's got an okay-looking record. It's probably, you know, you would hope Rigondeaux can look good against him. But there's a slight irony to all this. The fight on Saturday night is on HBO in America on their pay-per-view. Now, HBO ditched Rigondeaux a while back because he was just too boring as a fighter. Like, wasn't exciting enough. So he's making his kind of comeback right. <laughs> on the biggest HBO card for for quite a while um so, so yeah is it is it is um is it his style that just doesn't sort of yeah he's he's you know we discussed it last week about yeah. lomachenko rigondale ward rigondale's a very successful amateur he has that amateur style the kind of hit and don't get right, hit yeah, um, there's a fantastic video put up today actually on uh, youtube of a public workout from today where Rigondeaux is just showing off his defensive skills, like all through this video. So he's got his Padman uh, just hitting him, and it's just every single thing that he does. Rigondeaux's got a little movement for covers up out of the way, you know, ducks, rolls, <clears throat> pivots. He he gets out of the way of everything. That's cool. Which is his, you know, that's his his strength, his key to winning. So I'd like to see the video where he actually fucking hits someone because. <laughs> That's no, kind of diving, mate. yeah. It's kind of what he he is renowned for his defensive abilities. So we're all aware that he can do that very well. The excitement is what he's not um, not so accustomed to. Yeah, it just seems to be at the moment. Given uh, on that sort of subject, it seems at the moment that all the the world's most exciting fighters kind of are getting dodged all the time. Uh, and 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 I can only really um, 
go for someone like Golovkin when you speak about him and you say how dangerous he is he's been which which, which fighters would you say are a the most exciting and b most frequently set up with fights like who who do you who do you look at and go I can't wait to watch him fight and it's a, of a frequent occurrence okay so you've got someone um possibly under the radar more well he's not really under the radar I suppose but uh Ruslan Provodnikov who the geezer like just check out any of his fights um, he? he's a welterweight or light welterweight he kind of flits between the two but uh he's an exciting fighter because he doesn't give a shit about defense he's all about attack he's the he's the opposite of Rigondeaux. um so whereas Rigondeaux you suspect like in a pub brawl wouldn't really like it very much because you get punched in the face quite a lot or you know hit around the body like you'd want Ruslan Provodnikov in with you in a pub brawl because like uh, that guy's face is the best defense in boxing because like that's all he uses is like just keep hitting me in the face and I'll walk through it. <laughs> Pull the string and then go. Yeah, and so like all of his fights are just a war. They're a battle. They're like you know he just he wants to stay in the pocket and make every fight a real close affair. And and he he fights regularly. Doesn't he, he fights regularly. Yeah. Um, is he a Russian fighter? Right? He's Russian, yeah. Right, okay. um, so his career probably won't last that long. Like he's probably <laughs> he's had a fair few battles already. Um, but yeah, every time you see Ruslan Provodnikov is due to fight, like tune in because he's just he's an it's insane. Like I, I don't know how he takes the punishment that he does in every single fight and comes back again. You know, three four months later to do it again. It's it's insane. Hmm? Um, what was his name again? Ruslan Provodnikov. I should be able to find that. Just misspell it into Google. <laughs> Just get your cat to walk across your keyboard and uh, he'll come up. Um, okay, so the final one we've got to check out uh, or review, sorry, preview, is uh, Lee Haskins versus Randy Caballero. Yeah. There we go. Sorry for those of you that love me mispronouncing words. <laughs> I managed to get that one. So, um, but this is for the IBF Bantamweight title. I, I don't recognise either, either of those names, if I'm completely honest, so uh, tell right. me more about them. Okay, so there's a there's a brilliant story to this. Lee Haskins is um, from England. And the fact that you're saying you don't recognise the name is um, fairly, I guess, indicative of the profile that he's got within the sport. So this is a Bantamweight fight, as you say, a uh, world title fight. Now, Lee Haskins has been around for years. Lee Haskins, uh, 2008, I think it was, uh, beat Jamie McDonnell, who recently won um, the world title against Tomoki Kameda out in America and then defended it against the same fighter. So, McDonnell has a profile. Now, Lee Haskins has gone under the radar significantly. So, his record is 32 wins, um, three losses. So, he, um, back in June... He won... Uh, let's take it back a step, I suppose, actually. Randy Caballero, or Caballero, whichever way you want to pronounce it, um, he won the title against Stuart Hall of uh, Doncaster back in October of last year, and then he got himself injured. So they, uh, reasonably in this in this situation, they appointed an interim title holder. So because their title holder couldn't fight, yeah, they, yeah. they announced there would be an interim title fight. So that fight happened... Between Lee Haskin and I've got a funny name, Ryosuke Iwasa. Um, he was English. He was yeah. He born and bred an Englishman. Um, one of the finest of this country. Mm-hmm. I think he's Japanese. If I have to take. Oh, okay, that's surprising. So that was in June, um, and it was for the IBF interim title. Now that was at a leisure centre in Bristol. 
um, <laughs> sports centre in Bristol. Right, it's on Channel Five. It's a really good fight. Haskins showed a different side to how he fights. He was very um, almost Prince Nassim esque in like he was very unorthodox. Uh, there were times he looked in trouble. There were times that... Um, and he got the stoppage out of it. It was a really, really good fight. It was the best fight I've seen Haskins in. And so that was at a leisure centre in Bristol in June. And now he's fighting... Like, Caballero's taken a year out with his injury. And he's making his first fight back to fight for, essentially, you know, to unify the two titles. So you've got Caballero as the uh, the champion who's been injured... And you've got Lee Haskins as the the interim title holder, so it's a good fight. You know, it's a it's a decent way. It to, makes sense. It makes right. sense, right? Yeah. So um, Lee Haskins is going from June fighting in a Bristol Leisure Centre to in November fighting on the undercard at Mandalay Bay Hotel hmm. in one of the, well the second biggest card of the year. And it's a step down, no doubt. It's a step down. So I mean, you know, he's going to miss Bristol, isn't he? It's. Uh... <laughs> probably going to be counting his blessings that he's actually managed to you know be able to face a fighter of Haskins quality <laughs> so um, the question I have uh, is um, is this therefore likely to be a situation where Caballero turns up and goes hi I'm back give me my belt back bosh <laughs> game over it could be um, Caballero is a really good fighter he uh he's not a knockout artist they call him the matador he's uh, which kind of sums up his style so he's not a knockout artist his the only fight really that I've seen with his was uh, Stuart Hall in Monaco now Stuart Hall's a tough tough bastard like he was outclassed that night but he lasted 12 rounds um, so I think if Caballero was a class above I don't mean there's any disrespect to Stuart Hall but if he was a class above he could have stopped Stuart Hall that night and he didn't um so Lee Haskins is arguably at this point in his career a better fighter than Stuart Hall um, that unorthodox element that he showed in his last outing if he can take that in he, he'll he be fuddled most fighters to be fair because it was a really awkward style, um, great to watch and so it could it could possibly be that Caballero goes in both I'd be surprised, I'd be really surprised if he did but you kind of don't know with Lee Haskins quite how good he is at the moment. He could, it could go the other way. Haskins could go out because he absolutely wiped out that Japanese geezer back in June. Like he fucking annihilated him at the time. Like he was losing a fair few rounds, but the punch that took him out like finished him. If he lands out on Caballero, he'll do the same. Like unless Caballero's got a chin of granite or something. So it's like Mickey from Snatch, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I say, unless you're talking that level of uh, being able to take a punch, then Haskins is probably the one. If if either are going to win, it, it's a Golden Boy promoted show. Part of it. Now Caballero is a Golden Boy fighter, so for Haskins to win with the style that he's got over in America, it's very unlikely he's going to do it on points, given all the circumstances. So he's probably going to have to go and look for the knockout victory as well, which makes it even more exciting because he could go looking for him, um, which then opens up like the possibility of a bit of a, a tear-up. Okay. Well, that probably brings us to the end of what we have today. What would what, what you say was what fight are you looking most forward to or are you just going to be sort of like on tenter hooks for David Hayes' possible comeback news? Oh yeah, no, I can't. I'm just going to be sat waiting for that. Um, yeah, maybe Carl Froch can come out. Actually, no, I saw that earlier. 
He said, I'll fight. What, Frotch? Yeah, I'll fight James DeGale at £172, not £160. Like, fuck off. I want to hear about it. Yeah, stop, like, stop making crappy requests now. Nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, either do it or don't. I've said it before. Just um, do it or don't. Um, you mentioned to me earlier that Anthony Joshua set up his own uh, boxing management company, but we're gonna we're not going to address that really, are we? I don't know a lot about that. If I'm, I know he signed a new deal with Matchroom Promotions. I think it's a three-year deal this week. So, Noah, you're I breaking bre- news. Yeah, I, I, I briefly read um, a Twitter piece on it, but it was, it was, it was yeah. nothing in depth either. But... Um, I don't follow Joshua on Twitter because I don't like him because um, he just tweets about being humble having respect and then tweets about FC UK adverts so I can't abide it sounds pretty good to me yeah no great adverts <laughs> um, yeah. but apparently he's started up his own boxing management company which it's a bit ironic really given that all you've done is face a load of bums like if that's your management style <laughs> just get, get you as many crap opponents as possible wouldn't it be painfully ironic if then he was knocked out by Dillian White <laughs> yeah. just sat up my boxing management company before my career takes a possible U-turn I mean you know it'd be a bit harsh to say that I know but yeah anyway uh, um so so we're not we're not on tenter hooks necessarily for David Hayes comeback oh, did we did we talk about who could possibly fight we spoke about Tony Bellew. I mean, in oh, the heavyweight fine, yeah. division, um, I don't know. Let's wait and find out because yeah. it will depend on dates and when he decides he's going to fight. And uh, they who's... walk away from the sport and they come back like months, years later, and still think they're just as much of a big time presence in the sport, and they're just not. The problem with Hay is that he's pulled out of um, Manuel Char, who is going to make a comeback against. Pulled out of that. Pulls out the Tyson Fury fight. Pulls out the rearranged Tyson Fury fight. So in reality, I can't see him headlining his own show because yeah, who's yeah. going to have the confidence to go out and spend forty, fifty, a hundred, two hundred quid on a ticket? Yeah. When the, yeah, you know, based upon recent history, the chances are it's probably not going to go ahead anyway. He's going to pick up an injury of some sort. So. Yeah, I mean, A, thinking you come back and your headline news is a bit of a, a laugh, really. Um, but who's going to have the confidence to actually fork out to see him? You won't find me. Which then, then sort of, if the, it suggests that the fight players ain't going to be that large, then which boxers are going to bother? Doesn't that, that means he has to choose a lower class. I mean, he's not going to get Tyson Fury, for example. No, he's right not going to walk so, back to... Yeah, so it kind of sacrifices the quality, which then it's like a, a, a spiral, isn't it? And, yeah, and, self-perpetuating. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I think his his long-term aim and goal, he said it openly, is that he wants to fight Anthony Joshua uh, because that's got the most money attached to it. So if Joshua you know, carries on at the progression rate that he is, if he, if he comes through Dillian White in December... Um, so he could act as a gateway for Joshua to some extent. Yeah, it, I mean, if Joshua smashed David Hay in a year's time, that's a hell of a statement. If he goes, yeah. you know, if Hay managed to fit in a couple of tune-up fights, if Joshua beats White and if he carries on, you know, the progression rate, then David Hay's scalp would be a fantastic one. And it would be ace to watch him get knocked out. Oh, who would, <laughs> like as much as I'm not a huge Joshua fan, I would love to see oh. him just pummel David Hay oh, yeah. like back into the jungle with one huge punch. <laughs> uh, go on, I'm a celebrity, mate. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be ace. Um, hopefully, he'd go through the ropes like that bloke at York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bennett and Askin. Uh... Okay. Um, right. Yeah. So I guess we'll wrap up there. It's been uh, quite a pod. Um, Want to thank you for listening again. As you probably noticed, we're on a different time schedule, and that's just been down to our commitments. Um, I'm here now, um, so that I'm able to do the podcast. Shame. But um, 
Martin's Martin's moving, my shift patterns, us being able to be in the same place at the same time hasn't necessarily sort of uh, landed, you know, as perfectly as a, a well choreographed Tetris game. So we're uh, we sort of what the fuck kind of comparison is that? Well, anyway, it was a better comparison. <laughs> I hadn't prepared. Less is more, brother. Less is more. <laughs> okay, right. Well, uh, less is more. So I'll say bye. Take care. <laughs> I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up.